Hello again, everyone, and welcome to today's show. If you're one of the 130 million people that are dealing with SIRS, Lyme disease, autoimmune disease, or other conditions that are impacted by mold on a daily basis, and you need to learn how to eliminate that exposure, then you're in the right place. My name is Brian Carr, and you're listening to Mold Finders Radio. what's going on we're in for another episode i don't know where this falls in the list of things but i've recorded like five in like a day so um here it is here's one of them uh so i'm with dr jocelyn strand she's the director of clinical education and research at biocidin botanicals uh biocidin is basically a series of different supplements that help support different things in the body i take a whole bunch of them um, you see my cabinet is like literally aligned with like everything you guys have. <laughs> so, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Strand is a gut expert. Um, and she is obviously because she's on this show, very, uh, understanding of the mold gut connection and how all that works. And I think that's a really important thing for us to dive into because the gut is so important just in terms of overall immune system and what it does for us and our environment can impact that in different ways. And so we wanna get all that stuff fixed. We gotta understand the mechanisms. This is the person to understand all that stuff. Dr. Strand, what's going on? Hi, so nice to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you wanna give anybody a little more like, you know- Sure, sure. Like so um, I'm a, thank you, thank you. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Um, and like you said, I, I'm the director of clinical education and research at Biocide and Botanicals. And I left my practice 2019, I guess, uh, which was, you know, right before COVID hit. So it was good timing for me to, to switch over. Uh, but I left my practice to, to work for Biocidin because of the effects that I saw uh, um, in my practice using this product line and really a strong desire to get the, get the word out uh, to practitioners and patients alike about the use of this product. Um, primarily, we're known for working with the gastrointestinal microbiome. Um, it, it, as a as a product line, but there is a whole lot uh, more. Well, we only have it's a very small line, only ten products, and most of them have biocidin in it. And so, biocidin is a botanical, and we can go into that more later uh, if if people are interested, or if you're interested in understanding sort of how it works and and when to apply and how to apply it. Yeah, I, I might ask some questions. Um, so you said you have ten, so I'm going to count everything that I have. So I have I have regular biocidin drops. I have the liposomal pump thing. Okay. I've got, um, the toothpaste. I've got the oral rinse. Okay. Um, I did have the probiotic, but I kind of went off of that because my gut's doing some things. Okay. Proflora, um, that one's called. Yeah. Proflora. Um, I have olivirex, which is a general, just kind of immune support thing, right? So it's like six, I don't know. So I, maybe I have a couple more I'm forgetting, but yeah. So there's... the most important one for the conversation today is the GI detox, the biocidin liquid and the and the GI detox. So the binder is- How did is I forget a... the binder? That's like the one thing that everyone knows about. I, I got that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we have biotonic, which is an adrenal adaptogen, basically uh, sort of increases digestive fire and immune fire in from more of like a traditional Chinese medicine perspective. Uh, and I, th I think you might've hit them all. I have the tonic too. I was doing a full protocol. So I was, it was like, uh, okay. for like, a, I was, I was, um, started with a parasite piece that was like a week long pharmaceutical parasite piece. And then after that, 
was a wow. two month long cycle of kind of the whole biocidin regimen on that front. Um, wow. trying to kind of like reset and kind of get my gut back to where it needed to be. So, uh, pretty familiar so. with all of it. I mean, I feel, you know, it's so interesting. Like my symptoms weren't like, um, anywhere near as severe as I think a lot of people's are. Mine were more skin stuff. So I was getting, okay. um, you know, on my face and people who've listened now, I've talked about it, but yeah, like, you know, whether it's eczema, psoriasis, looky things or whatever, like they would come and they would go, um, and, you know, I've been, I was in the field inspecting houses literally every day. I don't do it every day now, but like every single day for almost 10 years. And it's like every house you go um, into is the worst of the worst houses because they're all right. referred by their doctors who are like, yo, you got a bad mole problem. <laughs> so it was- uh, Chronic exposures of all sorts of things, I suppose, huh? Yeah. So then there was suspected SIBO that came off of that. I had a candida overgrowth at one point that I had to beat down. There's like all these little gut related things that I've had over time. And so it's just interesting to kind of talk through a lot of that and what like early signs might look like and just kind of how it all works and all that stuff. So well, yeah, um, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about, you know, what, what we're going to talk about today, right? Is that sort of the, the, the how, how that cascade happens or where we get an exposure and then all of a sudden we start having gut stuff, which is doesn't necessarily it's, it's not necessarily common sense that that would happen, I guess, but it, it does make sense once you understand the underlying physiology of the, uh, how those mycotoxins and, and molds act in the body. So, yeah. So, so let's start at the top and we'll kind of work through some of this stuff, right? So let's just start big picture. I, I mean, I feel like a good amount of people, I mean, people that follow this show are probably people that are somewhat in tune to their health. So they're probably around some of the stuff I would imagine, but the whole, like your gut you know, is like your second brain, your gut is like the driver of your immune system. And basically there's all these phrases that say your gut's really freaking important. So can we, can we just quickly like top line, talk about the role that your gut has and just your overall health, your immune health, like, and, and why we even need to be talking about it? Yes, absolutely. So I think it's funny. Uh, you should make a t-shirt. It's really freaking important. Your gut. <laughs> Your oh, trade market. It was said here first. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, when I was in, in medical school, the, the gastroenterology teacher said, it's all in your gut. If the gut is the most important organ. And I was like, it kind of annoyed by that at the time, because I'm like, well, I have a brain and I have lungs and I have a heart. Like, why is the gut the most important part? Right. And so, of course, now fast forward 15, well, however many years ago that was. Uh, and, and I totally agree, right. That the gut is the most important uh, organ, or it's the first place that you, you have to start because it's very foundational for, um, you know, for our whole, whole body health. You know, of course it's where we get what we need from the outside world in terms of nutrient absorption. Um, and the microbiome plays a really pivotal role in gastrointestinal health. Like, like you said, um, the immune system is trained there. So whether it's competent, right. So can it fight off uh, pathogens or, you know, anything harmful that it meets in the environment, but also is it tolerant? So does it not overreact to, uh, to the inappropriate things like our own body, or, you know, if we think of like a histamine type response, uh, where it's reacting against sort of environmental exposures, we don't want that. Right. And so if the gut is out of alignment, we can become intolerant or we can become immune suppressed, or we can become both at the same time, this bizarre mix of sort of hyper inflamed and suppressed. So immune function, very important and the microbiome. So the microbiome being all of the bacteria, fungal, viral, yeast, all of mold, all of those things that live on our body, uh, the, the microorganisms, that's our microbiome. And we have a different microbiome in different niches in the body. So we have a different oral microbiome, even in the mouth, 
there's the rugae of the tongue, there's the, the period, a periodontal pocket, there's the teeth and the, um, and the cheek, you know, all of that, the sinuses, the ears, the throat, the stomach, the gut, the skin, the vaginal tract, it's all, all of those different areas of the body have a microbiome and the microbiome will look different in each of those locations. So very interesting. And, and we have to maintain balance. I think the, the main takeaway I hope that I give everybody is that today is that it's the most important thing is to maintain balance in the microbiome. We're not looking for a single, you know, evil pathogen to destroy. We're looking for a way to support the body's ability to maintain balance. So that's sort of the takeaway on the microbiome. And, the, and the, I'm going to take it one step further. <laughs> if it's okay, I'm going to yeah. wax on here, uh, is that when we have a healthy microbiome, it does in the gut, it helps us degrade macromolecules like carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Uh, it, it helps us again with nutrient absorption and mineral absorption. Uh, it, and it also helps with enzyme synthesis. So important for the, you know, all sorts of enzymatic functions, cellular function in the body. Um, we they synthesize vitamins like vitamin K, uh, CoQ10, B12, all of these things are synthesized by a healthy microbiome. Even amino acid synthesis happens in the gut, things like neurotransmitters. So serotonin and dopamine precursors produced in the gastrointestinal tract. And what has a lot of study right now is that short chain fatty acids, things like butyrate is the most well-known one, acetate, propionate. These short chain fatty acids are produced by beneficial microorganisms and they, have, they, they help to the heal the lining of the gut, but they also have a systemic anti-inflammatory effect. So when we, when we produce them, a healthy microbiome produces them, they're absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract and they help to keep our inflammation down systemically. So if all of that gets disrupted, you can imagine <laughs> the downstream effects, uh, you know, are, can be very dramatic for some people. So, um, and the worse it is, the worse you feel. And the, the flip side is also true. You might have sort of chronic low-grade dysbiosis causing chronic low-grade symptoms, and you may just feel tired and achy. You might not sleep well. You might have a little bit of anxiety or depression, and all of that could be originating in your microbiome. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that as a follow-up, like, so, you know, we don't know what's in our gut, right? Like nobody mm -hmm. knows, right? So, so like, how, what, what, yeah, right? <laughs> Just look. Um, so like, what are, what are some of the clues in the trigger? So you mentioned for, so I didn't know, I didn't know the CoQ10 was synthesized in the gut. So like, if you then went and did a blood test, let's say, and you got your CoQ10 levels and they're low, like, is that like those types of connections, like things like that, that you could look at and maybe like more traditional testing that people might be doing that aren't doing like the more in-depth things that you would do at a functional doctor or just, uh, obviously you said a couple of the symptoms It's tough though. Cause some of those like low, like chronic symptoms are also a million other things that can cause mm -hmm. those things too. So it's kind of hard to like point to that. So what are, are there a couple like kind of easy things that if you see it, you're like, oh, this is something I need to be thinking about. Um, and so if we're talking sort of generalized dysbiosis, so dysbiosis, meaning that there's an imbalance in the, in the microflora. So yep. whether it's in the gastrointestinal tract or the sinuses, wherever it is, um, if it's just a generalized imbalance, it, typically what you're going to see is a systemic rise in inflammation. So where if, if someone has an, a knee injury and usually it doesn't bother them, but it's flaring up, I, I always look at the gut every time that a person would come into my practice. Uh, I always evaluate, and I ended up working with antimicrobial botanicals um, to evaluate what role was the microbiome playing in 
whether it was psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or whether it was osteoarthritis or whether it was fatigue or mood, I always worked with the microbiome and I used antimicrobial botanicals to evaluate whether people, if they, if they felt better on those antimicrobial botanicals or if they got a flare when they started taking them, then I knew that there was a microbial flare on board. Does that make sense? So it was almost like a diagnostic tool for me. Uh, the, the way that I used it in my practice, um, which, you know, disclaimer, biocide botanicals is not recommending that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's just me. Uh, but so where mold and mycotoxins are concerned, I look more specifically for, uh, you know, those kind of electrical kinds of symptoms, anxiety, um, like prickling, kind of weird uh, for me, so I've had mold exposure, mold toxicity. I've had a whole mold illness experience myself. Um, for me, it was like sort of running sensations up and down the spine of electrical sort of sensations. And then I get prickling and itching. And I, and I since then have found that that's, have, have discovered that that's one of the most common um, sort of pathognomonic, which means it, it means that it is related to like a yeast or a mold. So that's Mold, mold overgrowth in the body or in your environment, that's another form of dysbiosis um, on the body. So did I Got answer it. your question? I kind no, of- it's super, it's super helpful. It's just tough. Cause like the, I mean, mold, you know, this, like, it, like mold mimics so many things. Like it can mm -hmm. literally, it gets, it gets through the blood. It triggers something up here. It triggers something down here right. for somebody else. It's like, how do you know? Right. So- you know, well, it's not saying that every single one of these symptoms means that, but I think like if somebody's listening and they're trying to figure out like, is it really impacting me? Is it not? Oh, I have this like tingling feeling or, oh, I have this going on. Oh, maybe, oh, that can happen. Okay, cool. Maybe that's enough for me to at least like dive into it and like look at it a little bit and go talk to somebody. And I think that's kind of the point of, of understanding like generalized symptoms because there's just so much and it's, you know, mm -hmm. I, I like well, I get- there's a strong case to be made from my perspective as a practitioner to working with the microbiome, regardless of whether you understand the underlying cause, because whether you have, whether it is the trigger for the symptoms or not, when you establish health in the microbiome, you're still tipping the balance towards reducing inflammation and towards, uh, you know, health sort of health in general, but you're also, if there is dysbiosis, so overgrowth, say of gram negative bacteria or yeast, then those things all produce toxins that will contribute. So if you can sort of the way I think about it as a practitioner, we're taking kind of taking the load off. So at least if we don't hit the nail on the head, at least you're sort of like taking some of that load off the body so that it has more resources to address what is the underlying cause. Does that make sense? It does. So I've been playing with this, uh, with this analogy um, or framework for like, don't steal it from me because I want to do it at a conference. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, so we've heard of like terrain theory, right? You have this idea yes. of germ theory, terrain theory, right? But it's all focused on the body. Like it's always like the terrain of your body, mm -hmm. but I have this idea of dual terrain theory. Like there's the internal terrain of your body, but it's where your body lives. That terrain is impacting your body okay. terrain, which is impacting the other stuff. And so, um, kind of what you said is like, it, it, it just ties like very much into that, right? Like if you have a, a situation in your gut and in your body that's helping reduce inflammatory things and things like that, then you're creating a positive terrain that your body can actually mm -hmm. fight a little better. If the terrain's the other way, you probably have, I mean, you tell me, but I'm sure part of it is that you have 
leaky gut, things are getting out when they're not supposed to. That's just triggering some of this chronic inflammation that's going on as a result. And then your body is like overloaded and all that fun stuff. Yes. Very yeah. well put. And I love your, I love your theory. I can't wait to hear it come out. I've been sitting on it for like six months. I'm just waiting for the conference that uh, I want to do it at. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, while I was writing, I was like, I've never heard this before. I'm so excited to do this. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, and just shifts the way that we're thinking, which is, you know, pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so let's get into, let's, let's get into water damage stuff in an environment and then its impact on microbiome specifically gut microbiome. Right. So you have two sides of it. On one side of it, you have your toxin load, right? That's your mycotoxins. That's possibly endotoxins too, which is when, so, you know, which is when, when you say LPS, that is basically what endotoxins are, which are the uh, toxin output from gram-negative bacteria. So we can test for that in the house, in the body. You can see that obviously as you're referring to it, right? Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the toxin side of things. And then you have sort of the, the, the critters, the living things, right? You have the actual bacteria, the actual mold itself. So first big question, I guess, and then we can get into it. Is there a difference in how the body reacts to one versus the other or how like your to gut the bug versus what the bug is releasing you mean yeah like the toxin as opposed mm -hmm. to the actual bug yeah it's a really great question uh so the way that i would think about it I, i'm not sure i know 100 percent the answer to your question so i just want to start by saying that but i will tell you how i think about it is that um so we have most of us will have um i'm going to back up and say for most of the world that's not living in a mold damaged building, food is the main source of uh, mycotoxins, but that changes immediately when you go into an environment where there's water damaged building or release a biotoxin for other reasons. Uh, and so that it's really important, of course, to pay attention to the route of where we're getting the route of administration. Administration is not inoculation. Right? Can, really I, can I just real quick dive into that? Because I think that's really, really important. I think there's a lot of times where it's yes, food is the most common place for it. But you tell me if I'm mistaking what you just said. If you live in an environment where there's exposure, that the environment becomes the primary source right. of it and not food, right? right. Yeah. I think that's just such a huge point to nail down for people because- mm -hmm especially, you know, if you have one spouse that's feeling it and the other one doesn't, it's like, well, food is where you get all this stuff. You go talk to your doctor, like food is where you get all this stuff. Like, yeah, unless you're breathing it all day. Right. And then exactly. that becomes the primary place where you're getting right. it. So yeah. yeah, thank you for that. And for people who are sensitive, it doesn't necessarily take much, as you know, right, of, of an exposure before people start to get symptomatic um, and skin can get quite sick from it. Um, and so if it's those, those mycotoxins, those spores are you know, circulate through the air very easily. And uh, one place that that happens is if it's airborne, it will go, we'll breathe it through our nose into our sinuses and into our lungs. Uh, in the sinuses in particular, it's a very warm, moist environment. It's a perfect spot if where, where um, bacteria and yeast and mold can all grow. They do meet our immune system there, right? So the immune system gets active. We might feel it in terms of like some chronic sinusitis or even just like a restricted breathing it does it might be a little bit of nasal congestion and it, all the way to nasal blockage and chronic uh, post nasal drip you know so that again just like mycotoxin illness it's the spectrum is wide but uh, what what they do is create a biofilm in the sinuses 
Um, and so the biofilm is like, a, I think of it like an invisibility cloak to use a little bit of Harry Potter terminology, right? It's like they, they go behind it, it's a protective measure. They go, you know, they, 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 hang up, they hang out behind this sort of structure. And from that structure, they usually, there's usually almost always more than one species. So they'll be hanging out, they're exchanging DNA with each other, they're exchanging signaling with each other, and they become more problematic over time. They become, they hunker down there, they become, uh, virulent or they start to cause symptoms. From that biofilm, they're continually releasing mycotoxins. They're continually releasing other biotoxins. Lipopolysaccharides, one of the main structural proteins in, bio, in biofilms. So constant inoculation if you, if you don't address the sinuses. And of course, then in order to get clearing in the sinuses, you have to address the, the environment as well. So the sinuses, automatically we get post-nasal drip from the sinuses down the throat, and that will inoculate. So of course the esophagus, but the stomach and the gastrointestinal tract. So you, then you do have an effect on the, the gastrointestinal microbiome as well. It's a really long <laughs> no, explanation. That, that is awesome. So I just want to like, just reemphasize what you just said, because one of the most common questions that we'll get, we'll go in a home will do testing. We'll see a, a bunch of molds with the potential to produce mycotoxins are capable, right? But just because they're capable doesn't mean that they will. It just means that they're capable of doing it. And then we'll run a, a mycotoxin test in the house as well. And let's say it comes up negative, right? And it happens, honestly, like the majority of the time, the mycotoxins are negative in a house. Mm -hmm. I'm going off the top of my head. I'm going to say maybe 25% of the time we pick it up, right? So the majority of the time you're not so if that's the case, then the question that always comes back is how is this possible? I have this in my body. It's not in my house. And sometimes people are upset that it's not there. I, the the, the, the yeah. vibe behind the question changes, I think sometimes, but the question is always there of how is this possible? And what you just said, I've had other people on the show say it too, but I think like that piece is so important for people to understand this stuff can get produced from inside your body. So mm -hmm. if you were in a home or you currently are in a home where there were those types of molds, they get into your sinuses or other areas. It's not the only place they could colonize. And they create the biofilms. They start producing it inside your body. You could fix the whole house, all that stuff. And it's still happening, right? And so I just want to make sure you said it you said it very clear, but I'm just like emphasizing it. So like whoever's listening to this, like tag this for your husband or your wife and give them this timestamp and go let them listen to what was just said. Because if you did that in the house and there's this whole question of like, oh, this doesn't mean anything anymore. That's not true, right? Everything isn't mm -hmm. super black and white. And it's, it's important to understand that. So that's, that's, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Yeah. Well, and then we could even go further down that rabbit hole if you want to, but <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's, it does, when we get colonization in the sinuses, it leads to a whole host of other issues, physiological issues that outside of the sinuses, of course, um, other than just the gut microbiome, you know, systemic inflammation and systemic suppression of hormones and all sorts of issues. So it, it really is an essential part of mold treatment or mold therapy to address any kind of issue in the sinuses or wherever, like you said, wherever the biofilms are holed up and I'd and, love to, can I share my own experience with biofilms? And yeah, can I, one more thing to, to button that up and yes. then yes. You also <laughs> said LPS, okay? So just so everyone knows, LPS comes from gram-negative bacteria. LPS and endotoxins are basically the same thing. Endotoxins are the toxin that basically wraps a gram-negative bacteria organism, all right? Mm -hmm. So when we're in the house, 
and we talk about the need to understand the full burden of water damage issues on a house, right? Part of it is mold. The other part is bacterial elements that are going on in the house. If we aren't understanding that and testing for endotoxins and seeing what's going on on that front, I've seen houses where there's a really high endotoxin load and there's no mycotoxins and the molds are like, you know, they're there, but it's not like out of, you know, it's not super crazy or anything, but there's a massive endotoxin load. And if we're breathing that in and the, and the biofilms create and all that stuff, like you just said, that's causing a problem too. So these systemic health issues that come as a result from that, it is so, so important for us to be understanding the full breadth of what the water damage bio microbiome, I don't know if you call it in a house a microbiome, but the water damage situation in a house on what's going on, because it all can contribute and trigger the same type of issues in the body. And it could also mm -hmm. like hold up and create it internally. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just super helpful to understand all that and how all that works uh, together. Well, so. And LPS, I mean, when you're talking about toxicity, endotoxin or LPS is the single most potent immune stimulator, human immune stimulator that we know of. So it's oh, wow. really really important to address lipopolysaccharides. And so that can be in the environment. It can also be an overgrowth of gram-negative bacteria in the gut or the mouth or the ears or the sinuses. Uh, but the, the reason that, that it's important to talk about inhaled LPS, like what you're talking about, is that when we inhale it, when it goes in the lungs or the sinuses or the mouth, it goes directly into the bloodstream from there. If you, which is why when, when you get an infection outside of your gut, so, you know, we have all these gram-negative bacteria in the gut. If they stay in the gut, we're okay. And the reason that that is, is because all of that endotoxin, first of all, most of it passes through in stool, but what does get absorbed goes to the liver and the liver clears it immediately. Um, and so if we don't have that first pass to the liver, it, the LPS goes directly to the bloodstream. And that's a problem because it causes things like cardiovascular disease. So people who have cardiovascular disease commonly have endotoxemia. So that's LPS elevated only two to three times the normal level. Um, and so it's really, really important to address LPS as part of the um, you know, therapeutic strategy, but also, you know, like you said, the train of the home, um, that multiple terrain theory that, <laughs> that you're developing, right? Is yeah. to make sure that it's not present in the home because it's more, it's more, it will be more toxic and it is toxic to everyone, not just people sensitive to mold. So it, you know, I I'm one of the people sensitive to mold. And so I totally get that how, and I get like a little bit of PTSD panicky if I see mold growing anywhere in my home. Um, but uh, really, truly LPS, it would affect my whole family, not just me. Does that make sense? If, if LPS rose in our home environment. 100% makes sense. Yeah, that's super helpful. I think the clarity on that side of it, because the bacterial side of stuff is like newer than the mold side of stuff, just in terms of the understanding. So being able to hear how it actually works and the importance is, is part of the part of the understanding of getting everything handled the right way. Um, all right, I derailed you. So you had your own- uh, Oh, I get excited about story. things too. It doesn't take much to derail me. <laughs> I know, we're a bad combination then. <laughs> Ooh, something else to talk about. Uh, and also, um, so, well, the reason I wanted to share this is because, um, because I think it speaks directly to what, what we're talking about today, which is, you know, the, the microbiome and biofilms and mycotoxins or mold, mold growing behind biofilms. So um, I guess it would have been about maybe 12 years ago that I had exposure at our, at our, the home that we were living in at the time to black mold. We never did tests for what it was. We just remediated the, the area. Um, at the time we, we had a, um, 
an air exchanger installed, remediated the area, and my symptoms resolved, I mean, almost within an hour of having an uh, of a air exchanger installed in, in our home. So it was pretty dramatic. And I started to feel better at the time. My symptoms were so bizarre because I had never experienced it before, but my symptoms were histamine mediated from the waist down, uh, just like my skin was swollen. I don't know how else to describe it, like red and swollen. Mm -hmm. All of my lady parts, red and swollen, um, just tons. Of, and I, I know this is this is personal. So if you're uncomfortable with, with personal information, the reason that I share it is because I feel like it normalizes the conversation and, and um, I'm not embarrassed. Uh, well, maybe I'm a little embarrassed, but no, I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. But so it had a very profound effect on my vaginal tissue, the mold exposure did. And so I ended up having swelling there and I had swelling um, or I had um, hypersecretion, which is one of the effects of mold exposure on, on our gut, on all of our mucosa is this hypersecretion of all the glands. And so I just was miserable laying on the couch at night, scratching until my legs bled. It was awful. Um, and then we installed the air, we, we remediated, we installed the air exchanger and things were better. I still couldn't drink any or eat anything that was fermented. Like I still was reactive to yeast and moldy, you know, all things dank is how, how my, one of my patients described it. And then I kind of went along my life and gradually was improving. And then biocidin came into my life. And I tried, I was like, oh, this is good for candida. Maybe I have candida. I'm just going to take it. And I did not, I didn't titrate. And I, um, so I went straight to the max dosing. I didn't know anything about binders. And I had, when I started taking it at a full recurrence of my mold toxicity. Uh, and so in my mind, I was like, whoa, what the heck? You know, was it candida that was causing it? What was it? And I didn't understand biofilms at that point. Now I understand, or I think what happened was that uh, all of the biofilms that were existing in my gastrointestinal tract, my sinuses, wherever they were, were broken open and I was re-exposed to mycotoxins and mold and, uh, but it didn't last, thank God. <laughs> so it was three or, three or four days and I'm really grateful my body cleared it relatively quickly uh, of, of misery again, but it, it's, it's such a, um, it's such a unique constellation of symptoms that I always know when I've had an exposure to mold because it, it it's, there's nothing else that creates that kind of um, symptom for me. So that's my own story <laughs> around mold and, and the importance of biofilms and the microbiome when you're working with, with mold as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think our, you, you know, you said it, uh, <clears throat> talking about it helps normalize it. Um, there's a lot of things that are normalized or shouldn't be. And then there's a lot of things that should be normalized that aren't. Um, and so we have to- I like, love that. <laughs> I don't know you if you could that. dilute the bad normalized things like with more good. I don't know how that works in the grand scheme of what we take in <laughs> and take out, but we're behind the eight ball on things that should be normalized and we're pushing things out that shouldn't be. And it's just kind of, you know, it is, it's like a battle that we have to do. So thanks. I mean, it's super helpful. hundred percent agree with your statement. <laughs> All right. So we let's, let's get moving on now. So we've kind of talked through biofilms, how they work, we stuff's getting produced in the body, kind of got all that stuff. Um, where do we go now? Let me ask you, I don't know, I've got like you do. Where do you go next? What, what, what's kind of, let's just kind of work through this in motion and then we kind of talk okay. about the next step. Well, so let's assume that we're getting, uh, or we could talk about the microbiome, right? What happens to the microbiome or how mycotoxins or mold affect the gastrointestinal. And, and um, I, the research that I looked at is also the oral microbiome. Um, so anything inhaled, eaten, of course, 
um, or like, like we talked about that's being produced on the body, say by aspergillus or another fungal element that's producing it. Uh, so what happens is, and I did mention this already, is this hypersecretion, glandular hypersecretion. So it affects the, the, the glands are trying to respond to the sort of the immune activation by producing more, more mucus, more uh, anti, um, antimicrobial peptides, by, by producing all sorts of, they're trying to manage it, but it, yeah. it causes these hypersecretions, which eventually does burn out those cells. And then that results in a swing to the other direction where it damages those glands. Your body can't produce the secretions that it needs to, whether it's enzymes. And so that's one of the things that happens or one of the ways in which these uh, the my, mycotoxins damage the lining of the gastrointestinal tract. And the other is that they are just pro-inflammatory. They cause inflammation, lipopolysaccharides um, also, or LPS, very, very inflammatory. Um, so the, the problem is you have this hypersecretion of the mucosal lining. And then when you can't produce it, you get patches where the, uh, all of these toxins are directly exposed to the epithelium or the lining of the gut. And then you'll start to get you know, uh, I guess the release of, of pro-inflammatory mediators like cytokines uh, at, at that site. And so you can see how what, then those cells, when they die, and this is one of the effects of um, mycotoxins, is, it's called apoptosis, where the cell just goes up, oh, I'm going to kill myself now. Um, so bad, that, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. Um, so, so we have suicidal cells uh, as a result of a my, mycotoxin exposure. And when they break open, they are full of antimicrobial peptides. And so that's to try to fight the mycotoxins. But when you're looking at the, at the inside of the gastrointestinal tract, we want a thriving microbial population there. And if your body's releasing these antimicrobial peptides, then it suppresses the growth of the beneficial microorganisms in the gastrointestinal tract as well. So over time, what happens is this sort of movement from healthy, robust, diverse microbiome, which is what we're looking for in a healthy microbiome towards more pathogens. So these harmful microorganisms towards uh, pro-inflammatory uh, microorganisms, and that can be gram-negative bacteria, that can be um, fungal, you know, like candida as well. So it starts to create this shift in the composition of what's in the gastrointestinal tract. It sounds interesting. The suicidal cells, which I'm going to steal, by the way, that's an awesome phrase. Um, <laughs> You're the, welcome. To <laughs> so they release basically a bunch of antibiotics, it sounds like. So it's the equivalent to somebody overtaking antibiotics and wiping out their entire, you know, like we aren't supposed to take antibiotics if we shouldn't be, right? Because right, right. we can have on our gut. It sounds like it's a similar thing that happens. Right. I mean, what it, I don't know if it would be the same degree, but it's the same. It's an imbalance between, you know, typically in a healthy gut, we have that that immune system that knows just the right amount of antimicrobial versus anti-inflammatory versus, you know, the, the immune system is behaving appropriately. When we release a bunch of antimicrobial peptides and create inflammation, then that starts to go awry. And so then you'll start to have this, again, this sort of skewed uh, dysbiotic my, microbiome instead. So it's, it probably isn't as dramatic as taking like, you know, an, an antibiotic would be, it's more chronic and over time sort of shift. Got it. Got it. All right, cool. So now we get an understanding of how it works in there and how the gut is working. So I guess let's get into like, I mean, we could do myco and LPS and kind of talk both of them through if they're different, if they're the same, because they're connected in the house too. But like, so how does like that either one of those toxins or if one is different than the other, 
affect like influence the microbiome directly. So um, the mycotoxins, um, so I'm not actually sure about like LPS and its influences on the microbiome directly. Okay. Uh, it's a really good question. And now I'm curious, but I don't know the answer to that. Let me uh, know when you find out. <laughs> okay. I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you a message. Uh, however, with mycotoxins, what we do know is that is that it has that. So the antimicrobial, the well, it damages the cells directly. They are antimicrobial in their own right. Mycotoxins are. Uh, and so they will suppress the growth of the beneficial microorganisms. And it's not it's not the same in different areas of the body. It's not the same with all different mycotoxins or different mold species. Um, and so it, it looks a little bit different depending on where in the research, where they're, where they're sampling it. Are they sampling it in the stomach or the low intestine? You know, so it, it's, I think you nailed, put, or, you know, you nailed it earlier when you said, it, we don't really know what's happening there. Like for me, I think I would love to know exactly what's happening. I don't think I ever will know exactly what's happening because it's so truly so complex. Um, but when you have a healthy microbiome, it metabolizes the mycotoxins. It's like your first line of defense. And the way that I would think about it is like, they're there as the first barrier, right? To whatever we consume, because they have to live in this environment too. So if a microorganism is being exposed to toxins, whether it's, I mean, I really do want to know now about LPS, but for sure, <laughs> mycotoxins, uh, when they're exposed to it, it damages the microorganisms, right? They have antimicrobial effect. So they do what they can to metabolize those mycotoxins as quickly as possible. So if you go into you know, an a, um, environment where you're exposed to mold and you already don't have a healthy microbiome, then you're like behind, you're already behind, one step behind. Um, so making sure that you establish and maintain health in the microbiome creates that, that sort of first barrier. Um, it also keeps the epithelial lining healthy. You referred to leaky gut. So if we get damage to the epithelial lining, uh, then we will start to have leakage of mycotoxins, lipopolysaccharides or endotoxin as well. Um, other food antigens, so we start to develop food sensitivities. Micro, uh, or the microbiome will keep that epithelial, a healthy microbiome will keep that healthy as well. Um, and then the last thing, and which was news to me, is that uh, they're binders. So things like that, lactobacillus and bifidobacterium in their cell wall, not all species, but some of them will actually bind mycotoxins and other toxins as well, so that then they get excreted in the stool. They aren't crossing into the body where they create inflammation. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I know that there are supplements for those specific ones that you just talked about um, mm -hmm. to because they're like the healthy ones that you want to put in and rebalance, right? So mm -hmm. it's interesting. So they, they it's you have a binder that's more of a traditional binder, like a GI detox. It's just soaking up everything like a sponge that it touches, right? And then you yes. have... Uh, more natural kind of a predator is not the right word, like a competitor that just kind of does it more from like a organism. Yeah, it's the perfect word for it. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it is part of their strategy for survival, right? And so that's what I think. I think the same thing with botanicals as I do with a healthy microbiome, that this is their, their strategy for staying alive. And we're basically like borrowing their plant's immune systems. We're borrowing the, the immune system of the microorganism in order to protect us and protect our bodies. And, and you, I mean, I guess that's, that's the easiest way to say it. I think I could get out there because they have a life force too, that we're consuming in some way, you know? So it's all of this, like, I, I, God. I, I think you just gave me a, the triple terrain theory. I got to stop. I'm going to start going down. Like, uh, <laughs> like when Ant-Man's going through all the different quantum phases, there's like a million of them. I need to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're a thinker. Um, what's that? <laughs> 
you're a thinker. Yeah, well, you know, it, it helps sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's all super helpful. I just learned like five things that I didn't know off of that, which is awesome. Um, so I guess on the flip side, like how does, is it, if, you're, if your uh, gut or your microbiome is out of balance, does that in a way, this might be totally wrong, does it like increase the badness? That's such a bad way to say it. Does it magnify the um, uh, the uh, negative effect of mycotoxins? Like, can it amplify it, 100%. or is it just one hundred percent? Took me a while to get there. <laughs> you get it. I got it. I, I picked up what you're putting down. So, uh, so yes, it does. And so the reason is that so a couple of things. If we get dysbiotic whether it's because of mycotoxins or because you took antibiotics or because, you know, the, all of the reasons, stress, uh, you know, an unhealthy diet, whatever it is that can create, there are many, many ways that we can get dysbiosis or unbalanced growth. But if, if that tend toward, tends towards gram negative bacteria, we already talked about this, right? Then you're going to have LPS uh, secretion, hypersecretion of lipopolysaccharides. Even if your liver is clearing it, it does take a toll on the liver. So it, it causes, so that there are some certain cells in the liver called Kupfer cells that they are, they are immune cells in the liver that are responsible for clearing LPS, but it causes collateral damage to the cells that are responsible for producing bile, for detoxification. And so you get this, have you heard of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? NAFL? I feel like I have, yeah. It's 24% of the adult population now has NAFLD and they're changing the name to MAFLD, which is metabolic associated fatty liver disease. And it's caused primarily by lipopolysaccharides. Um, it's the overproduction of, of LPS or the overexposure of LPS. I need to learn more about the exposures in the environment where, where LPS is concerned. I, I'm really curious about that. 24%, um, I'm sure this isn't a correlation, but that is also the same number of people that have the genetic predisposition to- Oh, interesting, that's true. It's 24%. Huh. That's what so if bad. we just made a Nobel Prize type of discovery <laughs> just now? I don't know. We need to talk more often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not a straight line like that. It was just that that number popped up. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's it's that genetics that these are the canaries in the coal mine. I am one of them, right? That start to exhibit symptoms with ex with increased toxic exposures. But what, what, I, what I was getting at with dysbiosis is that whether it doesn't just have to be gram-negative bacteria, gram overgrowth of gram-positive bacteria, overgrowth of anything is going to create a problem of any pathogen or even opportunistic organisms. So something like, say, candida albicans, which most of us have a little bit uh, growing in our gut, but if it overgrows, it can become a massive problem, systemic problem for, for uh, people, for all people. But um, at any rate, different metabolites, right? So we have LPS, that one creates acetaldehyde or um, you know, gram-positive bacteria creating extra peptidoglycans. All of these things create inflammation and toxicity in the body. So if you are already heavy with toxic load produced inside your own body, you add what's in the outside terrain, whatever your or external exposures are, and you're already walking around in that sort of sort of chronically inflamed state, and then you get a mold exposure, you can imagine that your ability to manage that additional pro-inflammatory load and toxic load is gonna be very, very difficult for your body to manage. And so it's it makes a huge difference managing your, not just microbiome, but 
I would say health in general, right? Your liver health, your, um, your movement every day, keeping your stress load low, all of the, all the good lifestyle things that I'm sure all the other people you've talked to have recommended on the program, you know, making sure you're eating a low and in, low inflammatory diet, getting lots of fruits and vegetables, that sort of stuff, sleep, hugely important for, for this as well. So, you know, it's really interesting that you say that I've never thought of it that way, but like, it's, it's so similar. So like, if you have like Lyme or an autoimmune disease or like something where your immune system is just constantly being taxed basically, and then you get a mold exposure, then it's like a massive hit. And then there's always the question of which was first. I have Lyme and that mm -hmm. trigger mold or do I have mold and that trigger Lyme or like whatever happened. Right. And the same with the others, but kind of the way that you just said it, like the damaged gut is the same type of thing of like this sort of the, you have your immune bucket that everyone talks about. And if your damaged gut is popping up the capability of your immune system, because it's, it's mm -hmm. chronically releasing out inflammatory triggers and stuff like that, like simply just not having any other type of disease, like Epstein-Barr or Lyme or any of this stuff, like none of that stuff, everybody thinks that like, oh, I have this underlying thing and mold triggered because it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like take all of those things away and just talk about like an unbalanced gut. And it sounds like from the way that you're saying it could have essentially the same um, accumulative effect on the immune system and trigger the same way. Yes. <laughs> oh. And the way, the way that I would talk to my patients about it is not a three-legged stool, but maybe like a 10-legged stool, right? And that we have, so we have all of these different, our bodies are really smart. They're really wise. Something way more intelligent than I am designed it. I, whether you believe in creation or evolution, it, I couldn't do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, there's no way, right? And so I tend, as a naturopath, I tend to lean back into the wisdom of the body. And if people are that symptomatic, then there's a lot that's already gone awry mm -hmm. in their bodies. So most, if it's a first hit, your body can manage it. It's people with, with chron I mean, chronic Lyme, I live in Northern Minnesota. This is one of the highest endemic areas in the country for Lyme disease. And it's something I saw, uh, I saw a lot of in my practice was chronic and also acute uh, Lyme disease. And so at any rate, it, it, the, these, the chronic people, they've already, you know, they've already had whatever it would be, eight of the legs pulled out, right? So it's not a three-legged stool. It's like, and sometimes what's amazing is you only have to restore one thing and the body can start to do its work again. The body can start to, you know, you take that load off, you give the body what it needs, you get it out of the way so that it can do. And, and of course, in your world, that would mean like remediating the environment, identifying the cause, removing the cause whether that's mold or, uh, or prem negative bacteria, or is it gluten, or is it um, Lyme disease, or is it Epstein-Barr, like you said, or is it stress? You know, what is it that's the underlying cause of dysregulation across the whole system? When you start to give the body what it needs, take away that cause and give the body what it needs, it is incredible how people start to revive, I guess is the word that I would say, or come back, like their body starts to heal itself. And you know, we're just getting out of the way. Bodies yeah. are crazy. Like, and you could, yeah, I mean, they, they, it's almost like somebody's like just punching you in the face for 10 years and then they stop punching you for three days and you've like healed. Like, it's yeah. just absolutely crazy. Exactly. Like, exactly. it's so nuts. You know, one thing I wanted to, and I don't know if you have an answer for this or not. Um, so we're talking about gram negative bacteria, like on the bacteria side of stuff. The gram positive side, is there anything to speak to on like an over- um, exposure to gram positive bacteria. So like in the environment, you know, one thing that there's been research tied to recently in the last few years, we started looking into is actinomycete bacteria, which is a gram positive. 
Um, is there anything from like an overexposure to more of a gram positive piece? Obviously the LPS isn't there because that's a gram negative mm -hmm. thing, but is there anything else like on that side that could be contributing to the triggers and the different things that we kind of see in these people that are having like, you know, chronic exposures? Um, so I, I don't, I can't speak to the environmental exposures like in a home, but I yeah. can speak a little bit to what, what happens on the body, which again is that imbalance. So um, gram positive bacteria, kind of the most note, I think are, are strep, you know, strep, uh, streptococcus, or, you know, when people say I've, I've um, strep throat, that's a gram positive organism mm -hmm. and, um, and staphylococcus. So staph infection is also a gram positive organism and it can cause it can also cause death, right? Septicemia and death. And that's, we typically think of that causing, uh, you know, a, a LPS being the cause of that, but it can be a gram positive bacteria that is problematic as well. And one illness that comes, I'm sure that you've heard of Marcon's, right? When you're doing mold stuff. So that's, a, I, I'm not gonna remember the acronym. It's like methicillin, I, I can't remember. Just say Marcon's, it's fine. Marcon's. Nobody knows uh, it. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> what it stands for, um, but it's a coagulase negative um, staph, staphylococcus. And uh, when people get exposure to mycotoxins, they often get the overproduction then of this, of this uh, antibiotic resistant infection in the, in the sinuses. Uh, and it does, it's also cause suppression of something called melanocyte stimulating hormone. And then that has all these downstream effects that are, are very difficult um, systemically for the body to manage. And so uh, it does, yes, you can also have an issue. I mean, that's the long answer for yes, you can also have an issue with overgrowth of gram positive bacteria, which is why, again, that balance is important. And there are gram negative bacteria that are beneficial too, right, to some degree. So it's not, like I said, it's not all bad guys, all good guys. It's that, that sort of the milieu or the, the, the microbiome balance that becomes important is they're all, they're all weighing each other, you know, and, and keeping each other in check and in combination with our immune system. And, um, you know, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's just been so like, it's, it's newer, I feel like, and just like, at least on our side, it's newer. So then I'm sure a lot of the questions haven't been asked yet. So like, it's just harder to kind of find some of the specific answers, you know, like, I guess, is there, so we're talking about gut in and out of balance. I'm sure there's not a number, but like, how do you know if it's out of balance? Like, what, is it a percentage base of different types of bacteria versus fungal versus this versus that? Is there like a ceiling on the, just the sheer number of, of a type that you should be over and under? Like, I'm sure it's a long explanation, so you can give the summary if you want to, but I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you even know that when you're looking at it? Well, so it's hard to know. You can do stool testing, but even that is sort of controversial depending on the stool testing. So you could culture out what's growing there. Uh, typically we would have a very small quantity of bacteria and yeast and fungal elements growing in the small intestine and then a much larger quantity growing or basically it's housed in, in the colon or the large intestine for the most part. So it depends on, is it growing in the right location? Because if it starts, if we start getting overgrowth in the small intestine, even of bacteria that aren't typically problematic, are, we don't have the same safeguards there that we do uh, in the colon to protect us. And we have a much larger surface area there. And so we have much stronger absorption of the, of the biotoxins from the, the um, bacteria when it's in the small intestine. So that's SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or CFO. Um, so if it's fungal overgrowth as well. 
Um, and then, so you can, you can do a SIBO or a SIBO test. You could test, do a breath test to see um, if there's overgrowth in the gut, in the small intestine. And uh, we, in our company, we use uh, full genome sequencing. So we work, we've worked with some pilot research with Sun Genomics, which is full genome sequencing um, biome effects by microbiome labs. It's the same, same technology, it's full genome sequencing as well. The, the benefit to that is that 80% of what's growing in the gut dies when when you when it comes out of the gut. So you can't culture and really get a, a clear picture of what's going on in the gut. Um, and then I don't know all of the all of the ins and outs of all of the other genetic testing, but um, that that's the one that we've used. So in terms of symptoms, the most, you know, some of the common symptoms would be if you feel full after you eat, you don't feel like your, your food's moving down. If you get uh, reflux or heartburn, um, burping after meals, if you get gas or bloating, if you get diarrhea, of course, constipation, um, if you get tired, extraordinarily tired after you eat. I mean, it's common to have a little bit of a lull after you eat when your body focuses its energy on digestion. Um, but if you're like, if you eat and then you're like, oh, I can't do anything, that's not, that's not normal and healthy. Um, and so I would think about those kind of those as sort of basic GI symptoms that you might look for. But some people are totally asymptomatic in their gut and, and they're celiac and they have anxiety and insomnia, you know, so it, it's just, there, there isn't always, there isn't always a, um, an easy way to define what's happening. And that's, that is why I ended up using antimicrobials to establish what role is, what, what role is the microbiome playing in this person's insomnia or in this person's joint pain or in their mood swings or their PMS, right? So, and if I worked with balancing the microbiome and I watched that improve, then I knew for me that that was playing a role in their, in, in their total picture. Does that answer your question? It feels kind of vague. I mean, it makes sense. It all makes sense, right? I think part of it is that the whole thing's kind of vague. So we're just trying to like right. wrap our heads around like how, you know, different ways to understand what might be triggers. I mean, I think the way that you talk about how you used the botanicals or the antimicrobial stuff to try to feel out if that's a player, I mean, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you're, you're, you're doing an inspection of the body blind, basically. So you got to go in there and kind exactly. of see like how it reacts and like what goes on. So that, that makes total sense. Well, not, not everybody can afford a $400 stool test to evaluate what's happening in their gut. Right. And so, whereas like $50 in botanicals, you know, it's, it's a significant cost saving and they don't have to wait for test results to come back. They don't have to retest. You know what I mean? So for me, where I live, it's it, there. I saw a lot of low-income patients or people who, you know, were on a, a much more finite budget than, say, like you know, LA or something. <laughs> but Northern Minnesota, we don't have that many of those people here. Uh, <laughs> so I used to it, live in LA. What's that? I said I used to live in LA, but I wasn't like in LA. Now? I I left though. I'm in Orange County now. Couldn't oh, you are okay. fast enough. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with with LA or or money. I, don't get me wrong. It's just that that, that wasn't my basic population. <laughs> no, I I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay, so I have two more kind of selfish questions. Asking for okay. a friend. One is real, and one is a, a funny one. Um, and then uh, we could get into like kind of some solutions and stuff on the back end. We kind of wrap it up on the back end. So okay, um, I did a stool test. I did a GI map a while back. And my H. pylori was high okay. and everybody that, you know, luckily I know people like you. So I'm like, Hey, what do you think of this and that or whatever? It's like, yeah, H. pylori. Ugh. Um, 
30 seconds on H. pylori and is it really as bad as I kind of feel like everybody's making it to be or like what's the like like in comparison to other things like how does it work so I mean if people have it and you run a test like this and you see it like I've been to you know you go to your doctor and like half of them don't even know what they're looking at right so it's just kind of nice mm -hmm. to to hear something about that specifically yeah I mean I think so very similar to what we've already talked about, um, it can, it, most people have H. pylori, more than half the population has H. pylori growing in their stomach. And it's usually, if it's overgrowth, it's triggered by something else in your environment. And that, for most people, that's, it can be mold, it can be um, Epstein-Barr, it can be um, stress is a major uh, cause of underlying infectious triggers because it suppresses the immune system as well. Um, and so, most people walk around with it asymptomatic, right? But if it gets, again, it's that imbalance piece, if it starts to overgrow, then it, it, it can be a major problem for people. I mean, in joint pain, fatigue, and of course, all of the GI stuff as well, like it, reflux, it does impair um, or consumes iron on its own. Um, and it does impair the production of stomach acid. And so when that happens, then you think of stomach acid is really what initiates everything else downstream from there. So you won't release as much in the way of pancreatic enzymes to break down your food, bile acids to maintain a healthy microbiome, to absorb your fat soluble nutrients. All of that can get impaired when H. pylori overgrows. And for some people, if you are reactive to it, just a little bit of overgrowth will cause joint pain or fatigue. Um, or irritability. And so uh, it, it just really depends person to person. Um, but it, it, I would call it a pathogen, at, at the very least, an opportunistic micro, microorganism that, given the chance, will overgrow and cause a problem. Um, and, and also, it can be very pathogenic. It can cause ulceration you know, in, the, in the stomach and small intestine as well. So we're going to talk solution things. I'm going to ask you like botanicals tied to that in a second, but I have to ask you this. My wife and I have been together for like 10 years, basically, since we started dating. Um, she's been saying this happened since the beginning and I tell her she's just freaking nuts and I don't believe her. And I have someone who can actually like tell me if it's true or not. She tells me, and, and I've purposely not looked it up because it's just more fun to keep saying that like you're nuts. This isn't a real thing. Uh, so I don't <laughs> it's like popular I have... with a wife to hear that you're nuts. I mean, that's yeah, a great yeah. It's, from it's like a it's like a fun like just thing that gets brought up. Okay, so when we're done eating like dinner, she'll be cold, and she'll tell me, "Well, I'm cold because all the blood is rushing to my stomach to digest my food." It's science. Look it up. That's what she'll tell me basically. Huh. I want to know, because you said something about like when you eat and like what's happening as they like trigger me. Is that a real thing or can I definitively tell her that she's nuts? Like, <laughs> well, first, I would never say that to your wife again. In my mind, <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, I would say that uh, I would say that, yes, your your body shifts towards its its resources. And especially from like a Chinese medicine perspective, which I'm not trained in Chinese medicine, but the owner of biocidin is is a TCM practice. She was a TCM trained practitioner when she formulated biocidin. Yep. Um, and, and I have enough classes just to, just to sound like a little bit, like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't know that much, but that being said, you need good stomach fire. So that heat in order to digest your food from a Chinese medicine perspective. So I would give her the biotonic <laughs> after, before and after her, or before her meal, after her meal and see if it helps because that is actually increases heat in the stomach burner. So it will help with her digestive fire so that she can digest. Oh, I was just running this, this is like a real thing. I got a real recommendation off of this. I just thought it's it was a real like thing. A fun, a fun <laughs> joke. So like, 
would somebody possibly feel cold because they don't have enough of that fire happening and is pulling it from the rest of their body? We need to we need to hit up Rachel Fresco for that for the answer to that, but it makes sense to me wow. that that would be the case. Wow! So I could tell her you're right, but we got to fix something. That's what I got to tell her. All right. She just needs a little. I mean, it's possible all that she'll need is a little bit of digestive support. And those in the traditional Chinese formula, that biotonic, yeah, it has that specifically supports the stomach burner. So you can you can look at you can have her try it and see if it makes it, it makes her feel better. How about that? How fun was that? That was. Fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. It's so funny when we're sitting and you're just like, oh, I'm so cold. And I'm like, I'm like, this isn't true. This can't be true. <laughs> like, um, it's so funny. Uh, okay, cool. So let's, let's wrap it up. We've, we've talked a lot about how stuff works. So let's do like a few minutes on the back end of like stuff we could do. I know obviously like what you're eating an anti-inflammatory diet is probably ideal. Um, but maybe you know, like diet a little bit, we, we, we could talk about like botanicals too, and maybe more of like overall, like kind of what they do, how they work, you know, that sort of thing. I think that I, I think that's useful. So as uh, I always like to understand why things are happening. And I think probably the people listening to your podcast are what we call it our company prosumers. Like they've already done a lot of research. They understand a lot of what's going on. Um, and so I'll speak at a little higher level than, uh, you know, than 101, right? But it, what I would say is that in general, that botanicals, like I, I have such a strong reverence for botanicals because they've been around, we, we have been around them for all of human history. We, plants were here first, right? And so we, we have grown alongside them and they have an immune system. It's different from ours, but they have a lot of the same immune components. They have to live in the same environment that we do. Uh, and they're full of extraordinary, I mean, they take the sun and create material from it, you know, so I think of all this, like, we were talking about that kind of magic, they're magical, really, to me, you know, plants are ma magical, and we have all these, you know, phytonutrients we haven't even identified still, all these different things that give the plants color and all of that, that we, that we can't, we can't manufacture and that we need from the outside world. So that being said, that's my little pitch for botanicals and why I love them so, like <laughs> I do, uh, but they also have activity. So if you think about like something like an antibiotic, which comes in and it has like, it forces something, right? We're going to wipe out all of this kind of particular bacteria. It doesn't care if it's, if that's good for the body or not. Right. So that's just one example of a way that we kind of, it's kind of a, I would say patriarchal not to start any arguments because it's more like sort of the way medicine is right now, which is this like, wipe it out, push it out. Right. It's a pathogen. We're going to get rid of it. Um, instead, I would say more of like a, a matriarchal or sort of a nourishing and whole body approach would be to support the body with, with um, botanicals that have the effect of balancing the microbiome. So helping to restore the balance. Um, they also are anti-inflammatory. They're immune modulatory. So they work with our bodies to increase immune, immune activity where it needs to be increased. And to downregulate inflammation so that you, you again are restoring balance. It's more like adaptogenic in terms of how it works with the immune system. Um, and then it also can break down biofilms. So depending on the on the, the plant, the botanical, and then when you layer them in a formula, you can imagine that if you're just going after a microorganism, that if it's hiding behind a biofilm, you're not going to get the job done, at least not long term. But if you combine that with the botanical that breaks down the biofilm, then you have a longer term solution on hand. Does that make sense? Because you're working the underlying cause, you're working sort of underneath at the root of, of the issue. 
Um, so I mean, it makes it makes a hundred percent sense to stick it in my world, which everybody hears me talk about all the time. It sounds like if you're just doing like sweeping uh, antibacterial stuff, it's like the equivalent to someone saying they're going to come in and like fog your house, but not actually find where it's all coming from. Exactly. And then if you get the the botanicals in, that's the equivalent of like opening the wall where the root of the problem is and mm -hmm. actually getting rid of it so it doesn't come back in like a week, basically. So like at a hundred, yeah, exactly. that totally makes sense. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And, and I just, I, you know, for me, watching them work in practice, it's just really moving. And I have, you know, I have some really, really, um, you know, stories that are the reason that we go into practice, that, that practitioners do what we do. You know, it, my very first patient that I used with biocidin was a three-year-old girl, and she was so profoundly ill with so many hyperactivities, mold exposure, history of mold exposure, and we were just working on balancing her microbiome. And little to little did I know that I hit the nail on the head with with all of these different little things that she had going on. But she, her her health in three weeks went from the sort of listless kind of failure to thrive picture that gray and she didn't really want to interact to like in three weeks, I wouldn't even have recognized her. It was unbelievable how different she was. And, and it, is, it speaks to that, you know, especially in pediatric patients, how the body, once you identify the cause can like write itself around. Um, it, it is a really remarkable thing. And it was so like, whoa, what just happened? And I knew in that moment, like that I was onto something in terms of a therapeutic, but it was also, um, you know, it's just, it makes makes gives me a great deal of purpose on the planet to to watch stuff like that happen. I love it. It's amazing. That's that's how people do this kind of stuff is because you're actually like connected to it and it means something to you. So, and you can tell by the way you talk. So, I appreciate <laughs> you taking. I don't even know how long we've been on now, but it's been a while. So, well, I, I don't want to move off binders either, and because I think oh. that that's a really important piece. Um, and so, in in our line, the binder is GI Detox. It's our single best selling product, actually. Um, and the reason that it's a a really useful if if there is overgrowth of uh, you know whether it's overgrowth of uh, um, pathogens or whether it's exposure to mold or whether it's it's um, exposure to toxins. If it's a re food reactivity, whatever it is, when you take a binder, the binder will soak that up. So it ba basically what it's going to do is diminish the reactivity in the body, and and it will help to. So when, once it soaks it up, you can't absorb it then into the system. You actually excrete it in stool. It's really important to make sure you're already pooping when you when you start to take something like this, so that you're and and it's a really important part of any of these therapeutics is regular bowel movements to to so that you're excreting mycotoxins and other toxins as well. But the binder, just the binder on board for people can make them more comfortable if they're if they're in a mold environment because it does help to bind it so that it's not active in the system. It is definitely imperative that you address the underlying cause that um, you know it's it's a band-aid but it, and also when you're when you're breaking down biofilms when you're taking you know using botanicals that uh, that kill microorganisms that are irritating to the immune system if you don't have a binder on board it can be very very uncomfortable so making sure that that's a part of the treatment strategy is very important <laughs> yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent I was going to ask you one more thing um should people just be taking these things as general maintenance, even if you're not dealing with some sort of specific issue? I, I tend to prescribe, I tended to prescribe. And for my family, we do at least twice a year, we do like that's the bioclear cleansing program, which mm -hmm. comes in a kit. And it's just that it's the biocidin liquid or capsules 
I wouldn't go straight to the liposomal solution. And that's because it's just a little, it's a higher level, especially for mold exposed patients. It's systemic. So people need to start with the gut if they're going to be comfortable. Um, so I would do either the liquid or the capsule and then the probiotic pro, pro flora and the GI detox. So just twice a year doing that 30 day cleansing program is something that because it, it restores balance, because it doesn't create imbalance in the gastrointestinal tract. And we've actually researched that. Uh, it, it caused an increase in probiotic abundance, the, bi the biocidin did in the, in the small research that we did. So that's cool. very, very, very cool. Very exciting, you know, a, a research, a pilot outcome. And we're, we're actually reproducing that with uh, a published publishable independently done research right now. Um, so very exciting to see that. And the outcome is looking very similar, which is that it, it absolutely does not wipe out the beneficials. Um, but it, so it's a selective, uh, I, I can't, there's certain words I can't say. So if you hear me okay. talking around things, that's why, <laughs> but it's very selective in its activity to help restore balance rather than, uh, than creating, uh, creating this sort of unilateral wipeout that you might expect from other therapeutics. <laughs> No, that's really cool. I mean, can you overtake stuff? Like if I was, if I'm going to every day, I'm going to take a certain amount of something like, can you overtake this stuff? Is it, or should you be doing it like on and off? Or should you be doing 30 day things? Like you're saying, like for somebody who's not, mm -hmm. obviously if you're like dealing with a specific issue, you got to have like a practitioner kind of like exactly, on yeah. that sort of thing. But as like a general, like multivitamin for your gut, let's say like, like that concept, like, is there, can you overdo it? Can you, you know, should. So what we've never had in 30, whatever, 33 years of, of being around, we've never had a reported adverse response to the long-term use of the product. So somebody gets on it, they can tolerate it. They can stay on it as long as they need to. So Someone who has, uh, you know, autoimmunity, Lyme disease, mold, we're looking six to 12 month protocols. And it really is important to, to work with a practitioner on those, those cases, like you said. Um, but as far as like everybody needing it, no, not necessarily all the time. I think of microbial cleanse with biocidin, but the probiotic, yes, it could be daily. And it's a, it's a great daily uh, probiotic, the proflora is. And the GI detox, so I mean, a case in point right now in Ohio with the production, with the spill train, train spill that happened there and the toxic exposure, the environment is full of toxins. So supporting your body's excretion of toxins through something like GI detox, a binder like that, there, there it's, it can be very, very helpful in just keeping your total toxic load down. Um, anytime I put someone on a binder, I make sure that they're taking regular, regularly taking minerals, electrolytes as well, because it will bind and you take it away from everything else. So you, you definitely don't want to take it near medication or other supplements because it will bind those things as well. So you think about maybe it, it could potentially bind some of the minerals and nutrients that you're taking. Um, and you take it away from food for that reason too. But so I'm taking a multi-mineral if you're going to be on it long-term. Got it. Super helpful. Cool. Well, this was cool, I think. What do you think? <laughs> well, I had a lot of fun. You're really fun to talk to. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I don't know if there's like a, usually people, you know, they have something like, hey, go find so-and-so here. But so you're yeah. at Biocidin. So like, what's, what's, what do we do? What should we do? Tell you can check out biocidin.com, B-I-O-C-I-D-I-N.com. And so some of the products are there. We just launched a YouTube channel. I think we have 37 subscribers. 
Ooh. so far so we're hoping to grow that i think if you if you do subscribe we're hoping to sort of continually launch uh some education direct, uh, patient or consumer facing education there uh we're, we're pretty we're pretty careful about what we say because we are a practitioner line of products and so uh we're very we don't have a ton of, of consumer facing um, information just yet although we do have a blog on the website as well so if you want to read our blog which is ba some basic information you can you can go there we do have which i think is really exciting our first ever gut summit that's coming up in the spring so if you if you go to and sign up go um to the website and sign up there then you'll get an advertisement when we launch the advertisements for the gut summit we have cast nelson Dooley talking about the oral microbiome and the connection to gut health uh, we have Siobhan Sarna, who's coming on to talk about SIBO and SIFO. She's got a huge, uh, huge, I mean, she's talked to every expert in the industry. So she's very, very knowledgeable. I'm very excited to talk with her. And we also have Elisa uh, Song, Dr. Elisa Song, and she's um, a functional pediatrician, and she's coming on to talk pedi about pediatric gut health. And then each of our own practitioner teams, so we have, I think, nine people, eight or nine people on our practitioner team, will do a small, like, 15 minute talk on different areas of the microbiome and how it affects systemic health or microbiome 101 or biofilms 101. So that will um, offer a huge amount of consumer facing content. And the first we, we do for practitioners out there, we're doing the practitioner facing gut summit as well with, uh, we have right now six different doctors and professionals in the industry coming on to talk about um, the microbiome and gut health. So Awesome. Well, I love it. I love putting out more stuff for people. There's so, we said it earlier, there's a lot of things normalized that shouldn't be normalized. Um, it's time to start talking about the stuff that should be. So um, I love that. I might steal that one. <laughs> I, I got so many. You can steal whatever you want. Just don't take my dual terrain theory. I really want to do that oh, one. <laughs> I, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Shan. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's it for today's show, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe and give a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help spread the word to those who really need it the most. 